Welcome to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Thank you so much for tuning in. Studs explores and honors working. It also seeks to honor the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Studs Terkel. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me the opportunity to check in with my people. This episode of Studs features a conversation with none other than Dan Wolf. Dan is a co-owner of Chicago Fretworks, Chicago's premier guitar repair shop. He gives us the origin story of Chicago Fretworks and how, despite the daily challenges of maintaining a shop, he still loves working on axes. But before he dives into that, he tells us how a chance encounter with a magazine ad in his buddy's basement launched him on the path to becoming Chicago's premier guitar tech. Such a joy to check in with Danny. I know you'll enjoy the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Wolf, welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you. It is a pleasure to see you. I'm going to hypothesize, okay? And, and if I'm totally wrong about this, then I'll probably just cut it out. But here's yeah. my hypothesis. It was uh, 1988, 1989, Chicagoland, USA, and you heard Guns N' Roses. You heard Slash <laughs> on guitar. That was the moment. And that's how you, you found yourself on this path. Am I even close? You are very close. It was probably a, a couple of years before that. And it was probably Metallica slash Anthrax that did that. But I was waiting in line at Flipside Records to get Appetite for Destruction. And it was a long line. (laughs) 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 I was there. Now, you, uh, by trade, I did consult the internet on this, but there are some pronunciations. You are a luthier, a luthier. Help me out. Both so far, I've heard before. I always find that word to be so not representative of what I do. So I stay away from it, although it is on our business cards. I consider myself more of a guitar tech. A luthier is someone that builds string instruments. We don't do that. Sometimes we do. It's not our main gig. And it just it never sounded right to me. So guitar tech is what okay. I call myself. You're a guitar tech and, and a business owner. And we go, I want to talk about both sides of that. Yeah. First, the guitar tech side. Um, you did something that very few Chicagoland Jewish kids did. You went from high school to a trade school. You went up to Minnesota, as I recall, right? Red Wing, Minnesota, yeah. Beautiful little antique town, just filled with old people, old, nice Minnesotans. Is it charming? Is it? It's a charming Very much place. So. One of the best years of my life was in Red Wing, Minnesota. How so? Why so? Tell me about that. It was the first time I was <laughs> the first time I was excelling in school, and I felt that feeling that that really smart kids get when they are excited to go to school. I had never felt that. It was always just a grind and trying to get through the day and understanding what the teacher's trying to tell me. Uh, this was like, I felt like I was right with the teacher. So it was fun getting my hands dirty with guitar. At that point was guitar building. That was a, a very luthier part of my life. Re- repair was not the horizon at all. In fact, me and all the 
the guys and girls that we uh, went to school with in Red Wing, we all were under the impression that we were going to start a guitar building company. We're all going to build guitars. And then at, at some point, I overheard my teacher talk to a couple other guys, and he said something along the lines of, I don't know why you guys are all so excited about building guitars. That's great and all, but if any of you guys are in this industry in 15 years, it's probably going to be repair. And that's the first time I ever even thought of guitar repair as a job. Did that upset you at all? Because there is something beautiful. No, not at all, huh? No, because I was lucky enough. I, I wanted to get a job when I was living in Red Wing. I got a job with a local... A violin maker, a true luthier, John Reed, and he he let me apprentice. He let me kind of look over his shoulder when he was doing all sorts of repair work. So I knew that I liked that, but I didn't realize until my teacher said that I was like, "Oh, I guess I could go back to Chicago and maybe fix guitars for a living." That was the first time I really thought of that. I just thought John read the violin guy was building guitars and then kind of needed to just repair was this thing he had to do but I didn't, I didn't realize that he was making money doing that probably making better money than he was building stuff it's hard to just go to a technical college and then come out and build guitars that are most likely going to look like fender gibson martin it's going to look like those but it's going to have some no-name person on it <laughs> and then you you're gonna try to sell that guitar for more more than a, like a Gibson or a Martin. So equally, I was like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Huh. So were, were you technically yeah. minded prior to this? Like, did you grow up in the world of building things and repairing things? Were you you know hands on in that way? Not really. I was way more into the guitar side. I love music. You know, it was more the guitar side of it. The building, I was like, hmm, okay, that's weird, but it sounds kind of cool. Let's go try that. Can you talk a little bit about this this love for guitars? I mean, it's certainly like a culturally fetishized object in the Western yeah. world. You're not alone. Like, what is that? What is that love all about? <clears throat> My mom was great in just letting me be the weirdo metalhead that I was, dressing the way I was. It all revolved around guitar. The first time I remember my mom bringing me to a music store in Wheeling to go pick out a guitar. Just that was like ingrained in my memory, just that how fun that was to be able to like point up at a guitar that I just liked the looks of. Taking it, that guitar home and just turning the amp up. I didn't even know what to do with my left hand on the fretboard. It was all just hit the trem and just make a bunch of noise. And I that really stuck with me. I loved it. it was, I had so much fun. I don't know where that passion came from because I wish I could get myself to be passionate about other things. In the same way, but it's just, for some reason, it just stuck with me, whether it was the metal bands I was listening to at the time. As I recall, you had uh, North Suburban Chicago's best collection of back patches. You were, <laughs> you were deeply committed to the metal aesthetic. They were guitar bands, ultimately, right? Three dudes lining the front of the stage with yeah. guitars, yeah. tearing those axes up, and it really resonated with you. Can Looking you, like ladies. Kind of, kind of <laughs> sort of sometimes. You ever put a finger on it? The music itself. The way they looked, it was always like, oh, it's kind of goofy. But I loved listening to that music really loud in my basement. That was like a big thing for me to just crank out the speakers. I'm not sure. I mean, I was a 
a kind of a weird kid. I had like problems paying attention to adults and I had problems being told what to do. And I guess that resonated with me a little bit. Like it was like Nirvana before Nirvana, just angsty sounding. So I kind of liked it. Yeah. And my parents completely supported it. They didn't fight back at all. So I was like, hmm, maybe I'll try turning it up louder. <laughs> try to piss someone off. But you know. It became a central part of your identity at the time. Is that fair to say? For sure. I don't think I was anxious or angsty. I had nothing to be upset about when I was a kid. I had the best life. And I don't remember ever feeling anxious about anything. So I don't know where that like aggression listening to metal came from. I just liked the way it sounded. I mean, hell, I was listening to master of puppets on my headphones during hebrew school (laughs) (laughs) and you know my my bubby for hanukkah bought me master of puppets on vinyl kill them all and ride the lightning all in one shot which is by far like the coolest gift i've ever gotten for hanukkah my world is still revolving around guitars yeah definitely my world revolves around music and guitars you are one of the few who managed to pursue and achieve that dream, right? You wanted this to be your world and you created a world uh, around that and you're able to share that with people. I got lucky and I was definitely destined to do jack shit. I definitely would be not in the, the fun, the more fun, enjoyable place that I'm in now if I didn't just happen to come across looking in the back of a magazine and I saw Guitar Building School. Was that it? At, yep. Sitting in Tom Burke's basement. We're just like thumbing through a magazine and his brother, his brother Pat had a bunch of guitar player magazines and I looked in the back of it. This was 95. So just out of high school, I definitely was not headed for college. And I just happened to come across this little ad in the back of a magazine that said guitar building school. This is, this is something I could do for the next year. That was it. You say it sort of glibly, but is it in fact the case that were it not for seeing that ad, you, you would have just been floating in perpetuity. Was there any alternative path or was this like the one path forward for you? And you just happened to find it in the back of guitar world magazine. It kind of scares me to think of how that went. If you're not in the right spot at the right time, something might not happen to you. Like that, just thinking back, like, wow, I, I came so close to not seeing that. And that wasn't the first time I got kind of lucky. I mean, when I finished Red Wing, you know, I think I remember talking to, to Russ Pass on the phone and he's like, why don't you just move back to Chicago? My roommate's moving out soon. You know, you'll find a job here. And I did that. And he talked me and Jim talked me into going to Guitar Center, which I hated the idea of working for Guitar Center. Hmm. And I went in there and I realized that they outsourced their repairs, ripped off the tab on an advertisement. And that ended up being a place that I worked for almost 12 years. It was a high volume atmosphere. Right away, I'm fixing five to seven guitars a day had nothing to do with Guitar Center. I wasn't in Guitar Center working on guitars. Thankfully, they weren't doing repairs at that time. They're doing them now in-house, but they they were completely separate business that they had kind of a handshake deal with. How early did you start thinking about opening up your own guitar shop, and when did that happen? So around 2007, I 
I just started sensing that, you know, I'd kind of reached the top of the place I was working at. There's always more things to learn. I just, I just felt like a little stuck in a rut there. It was, it was kind of like a shit or get off the pot feeling. I guess I had in the guitar repair, guitar tech industry. You work for a place for a certain amount of time, and then you got to open up your own place or you go out on your own to some degree. So you, uh, in 2007 or so, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you decide that you're going to take, I assume, most of your savings uh-huh. and, and you're going to get into business ultimately, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a bit about getting started? Like you had to start a business, um, not something that you had too much experience in from, from what I gather. No. Nope. Give me the origin story of fretworks one guy steve who's my partner he just seemed like a perfect guy to do something like this with we just got along really well we went to like a cubs game together we kind of started feeling like yeah i could trust this person and i i think something happened at work one day where i just kind of had it i i remember calling steve i said i'm thinking about opening up my own shop and he's like dude Let's meet up tonight. Like he had already kind of been thinking the same thing. And we just had a meeting where we <laughs> we realized really early on that neither of us are really business minded. But we had a lot of confidence that we could do the work really well. What gave you the confidence that you could make this thing work? A lot of people have these dreams yeah. about going out and on their own yeah. and starting a business. You did it and you've yeah. succeeded. How, how did you cultivate the confidence to take that risk? I had a lot of confidence in the work that I was doing. Like I knew that, this is going to sound really cocky, but I knew that I was one of the best techs in Chicago. I would say the second thing was simply that we found the perfect place and the perfect landlord. This whole dream could have gotten killed real early on because when we started looking for places, the reality started really setting in. How much could we afford? You know, we just need a small space, um, which just isn't true. We needed more space than we thought we needed at the time. And I came across this building that we're in now. The way it was laid out was a much bigger space than I could imagine affording but we met him we just clicked we really built like a good foundation with this guy which is so important in a circumstance like this to find a landlord that is understands what you're doing and is really cool and he's like hey we could we could modify this shop we could cut it here and put a wall there and punch a hole there and i can make you a spray booth in the back and i thought this guy's crazy and he'll never come through on this stuff and he totally did he works on the top floor doing art restoration. So there's this kind of vibe of, you know, this is a building where you repair stuff. And they even have a spray booth up on top too. So they're like in my world of painting and, and matching colors. You have a loyal clientele. Your firm has a great reputation. How many people are working in the shop? Around 2012, we hired our first person, maybe a little bit before that. We hired one guy who I thought we would never hire somebody. We did, and it really blasted us off. I, I realized like, wow, how important having an employee is if you want to do this. You, you've got to have help. You have to surround yourself with people that are 
better than you at certain things. And I started realizing that when we hired somebody and now there's six guys in the shop. So one amp tech, three guys that do a lot of guitar repair and everyone kind of starts out doing bread and butter repairs, which are setups. It's like a tune up for your guitar. And then you slowly start realizing like this guy, he's good at certain things and you start kind of branching off into some guy might really be attracted to the spray booth and kind of get a paint gun in his hand and see what he could do. Another guy likes to take apart guitars, big top cracks and puncture wounds, these types of repairs that are really difficult. Um, but it's, it's fun to see like all the guys kind of trailing off into their own little paths of guitar repair. So you uh, have to, on some level, work alongside and in some cases manage these people you have to uh, be you have to deal with the the bills and the business the the business side of things i don't know if you guys do any advertising of course if so you have to think about that talk about how you wear all those different hats yeah if if there was one thing (laughs) if there's one thing that i would love to learn more of is how to juggle those things if there was a class will help you, you know, learn how to manage, do work, and manage employees at the same time, I would take it. It's, re- it's definitely the most challenging thing for me is to be pulled away from doing work to do business and be cool about it, not be a raging lunatic, which I tend to become when I get pulled away from work to do that stuff. So yeah, that's, that is really difficult. And both me and my partner are suffering from that right now. We've never really hired like a secretary type position we just feel like that's just not something that would work in our shop but we really need someone that could deal with the phones and the emails and people coming in i think both steve and i have been pulled away from the stuff that we love to do we like a project to be on our bench when we come into work and we like to work through it and finish it in a reasonable amount of time whatever personality trait that is that's what we like the business end of it the never-ending flow of emails and especially phone calls during the day are things that i struggle with a lot what percentage of your time on a good day can you expect to spend repairing guitars on a good day 50 percent of the time we'll be working working on guitars and I mean you go into work both see my first thing you do you you answer like two hours worth of emails really yeah what time do you show up at the shop start our day 9 30 10 o'clock all right you show up 9 30 yeah. 10, 10 o'clock each of you has uh, a machine that you're working on you're both hammering away at emails and phone calls that's the way it starts yeah. oh yeah yeah I mean I try to get through those at home Right when I wake up, I'll just kind of like get through the emails. I know I can answer really quickly, check those off the list, but you just have to do that. You know? How many like, people walk in your door on an, on an average day? I'd say we probably have a dozen people will walk in and, and then maybe a, to either just look around or to drop something off. I'd say more than that, actually. So a dozen people to come in, look around, be confused, and then we have to tell them it's not a place where you sell guitars. I'd say six to eight of those people are people that know exactly what they're doing and they're dropping off. And then maybe another five people pick up guitars. Every 20 minutes that door's opening, someone's there. You and Steve are both super nice, super sweet, clever guys. Oh. Oh. Um, people are going to want to talk to you. Yeah. 
and uh, you do something that they can't do because if they could do it, mm-hmm. they would have done it themselves. Yeah. You, you know, you want to provide a level of customer service. You want your customers yeah. to return, um, <clears throat> but you got work to do. So yeah. um, talk a little bit about how you balance out the need to cater to their egos and serve them and make them feel welcome, but get, get back to work. I mean, I keep phone calls short. I have what my coworkers call like, wrap it up voice real quickly on the phone. You know, I start doing that. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we'll hope to see it. You know, that, that whole thing happens real quickly. Um, unless it really is neat. I, I only do that when I know this conversation isn't necessary to go along any further because they probably want an estimate that I can't provide them over the phone. But when, when a customer is there to drop off a guitar, we take that real seriously. We do. We take our time with that. We, provide a little bit of a relationship more than you would at any other place i believe and you know we we get to know them as a player and ask them a lot of questions that they probably weren't expecting that's going to help us provide the service for them and and nail it on the first shot instead of kind of them coming back saying hey it wasn't quite right well you know we got to know them first and when i drop my car off at a repair shop i love it when like the car, car mechanic says hey come here check this out and you're under yeah, the car yeah. with the car mechanic. Like I really like that stuff. So I try to do that. Once you educate them about why certain things are doing, why is this happening? Why does this continue to happen? Why is my guitar, you know, not playing right in the winter time? You got to educate them that it's doing that because it's drying out and teach them about all this kind of stuff. And their guards come down real quickly. If you play, you know, teacher for a little bit. How many customer complaints do you get over the course of a month on average? The vast majority of our customers are extremely cool. Um, just like everything else in our industry, there's no consistency. Any chart that you could come up with as far as you know, gross income or uh, anything you could think of, including customer complaints, is just uh, there's no consistency to it. It just Sometimes we'll get two in one week and we'll be like, what are we doing? What's happening? And then we won't see one for eight months. So customer complaints is very rare. Do you find that you kind of forced to take on almost a different personality in dealing with customer complaints? Do you have to sand down parts of your personality and amplify others to create for a a repeat customer? I naturally get really defensive when I sense a customer doesn't trust me. And, you know, you've been working so hard on their guitar and you can sense that they just don't trust you. That's my trigger. That's my defensiveness. And that's where I think Steve and I, we kind of have a good symbiotic thing where I know certain customers that he would deal with better and vice versa. And when it comes to customer relations, Steve is usually a little more calmer and thoughtful than I am. I'll sometimes ask him to, hey, you know, this customer just, he needs a little, you know, Steve Baker, love tap. Steve usually will, you know, whip up a a really thoughtful email that kind of calms everything down. But this is rare stuff. You know, this is once a year. Do you still love problem solving guitar problems? Yeah. Every guitar is different. Even if I'm fixing nothing but Fender Strats all day, they're all going to be a little different and they're all going to have different customers attached to them. So each one feels a little different. You know, one might be a little bit more time consuming than the other, but I do love finishing a project, especially if there's like sentimental attachment to it. 
like a guy brings in one of my more memorable ones is, you know, a guy brought in a 65 jazz master, a very kind of vintagey sought after guitar right now. That's that someone had refinished poorly. And then I kind of was able to through a picture that he had of his dad playing this guitar, you know, looking super cool and uh, 21 year old um, in a club. Hmm. And I used that picture to kind of recreate it and hand it back to him. And that is where a lot of joy comes from. We've had people cry in our shop multiple times, you know, fixed a guitar for someone um, that was their parents. Because the, the guitar is one of these things that gets handed down and becomes very sentimental. Every year we have a, you know, a handful of stories like that, that I love those being the perpetual downer that I always pride myself on being, give me the other side of that. Share share a horror story. Share a total fretworks failure. Have you ever destroyed a guitar? At the old shop I, I worked at, I, an old ovation came in the shop. I was pressing down on the top because there was a lot of cracks on the top and my hand essentially just went through the top. That stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I turned like $150 repair into me doing probably $700 worth of work for free. You know, I tell the guys that I teach how to do this, like, hey, you're going to make mistakes. You're not a robot. You're going to put a big scratch in a guitar. You're going to drop a screwdriver on a guitar. At some point, what makes us different than other shops, that you're going to fix it. You're going to learn how to fix it and do as best as you can to make it disappear. And then you're going to call the customer and tell them what happened. I, I fucked up. I made a mistake and I accidentally spilled a little bit of acetone on your guitar or like whatever happened, you got to fess up and fix it. So that what separates the men from the boys in guitar repair, masking and hiding your mistakes. So you work in a shop with five or six guys. What is, what does it feel like in there? Everyone, I assume gets along really well. Are people talking a lot? Is there a lot of joking? Is there a bona fide ass grabbery? What's it like in the shop? The vibe in the shop is dictated by the personalities of the guys that are in there. And I've always been really lucky to have really like good personalities in the shop. And I just love these guys. I mean, they're yeah, you know, I do anything for these guys. They're just really work their ass off, and they're really fun to be around. There's definitely a lot of joking going on. If you were to be a fly on the wall in our shop, I mean, and to hear some of the stuff we talk about, it, it gets pretty uh, deep. Like we have, the, there's lots of not just joking around, but I say we just talk. We we, we get into our, our our personal lives on a deeper level than most work environments. You know, we go deep and we we ask each other questions. And if someone doesn't want to partake in that, they they just have to sit there and listen to it because there's it's not like everyone's got their own little office. Everyone's in this room. We all have our little kind of corner of the of a seven hundred square feet, you know, space. And uh, yeah, we talk. We listen to music. You know, some guys don't talk as much and other guys talk a lot. And I'm kind of somewhere in between, but I, I love the shop camaraderie. We're the same age. Can you happily do this? Same shop, more or less the same dudes, same vibe for the next 20 years? I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Another 20 years, it would bring me to mid-60s. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think my joy for it is still there but i definitely 
am feeling myself more interested in other types of woodworking. I'm really into the idea of like building furniture, learning a new trade that has to do with woodworking and finish work that doesn't really have to do with guitar repair. I could see myself kind of retiring into something like that. I don't know if I want to be doing that for another 20 years without something changing because it, it, it's a hot house. I mean, it's like you, you walk in, boom, like you're, you're, you're putting out fires, you're talking on the phone, you're answering emails, you're putting out more fires. You got a project sitting there. Let's get into that. Let's dig into some guitars. It's a little hectic. If I'm rushing things, I, it can get stressful. You're right. It's not just this like cool breeze, stress-free, cool job. I get to play guitar all day. It's not like that. It's like putting out fires with the occasional like, ooh, that was really that worked out really well. Yeah, man. I think I feel a particular affinity for people who, you know, do what they love and they love what they do and they take pride in it. Daniel, we like to wrap up our show by asking our guest to recommend another guest, someone that you think I should talk to. Do you have someone in mind who you think maybe I should try to get on the pod? Yeah, a uh, friend of the shop who's our neighbor in, in North Center, his name's Reverend Billy. He owns a, a hair place. It's called Reverend Billy's Chop Shop. He's a real artist. So uh, Reverend Billy from Reverend Billy's Chop Shop. All right, all right. One bald guy tells the other bald guy to go sit down for a long chat with a barber. I gotcha. That's where we jumped the shark. Danny, I love you. I miss you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. Oh, what a pleasure. You gotta love Dan Wolf. Everyone who meets Dan Wolf falls in love with Dan Wolf. You can't beat Dan Wolf. Oh man, I should have asked him about all the famous guitarists that show up in his shop. Eh, that's okay. I don't want to put him in that position. But I know some famous people show up there. Well, if you're a guitar player and you're anywhere near Chicago, you probably want to check out Dan at Fretworks. But don't spend too much time talking. The guy's got work to do. All right. So subscribe, leave a like, offer a comment, and please share studs with your people. Pass it along. It's pretty good, right? I mean, for a new podcast? I don't know. Oh, hey, I left a little sophomoric silliness at the end here. Sorry. Not ready to grow up yet. Is that your dog in the back? No, my dog is, uh, he took a shit in the house huh? and he came out, looked at me funny, and then he went back in the house. And... Well, I do believe <laughs> it's, it has something to do with me. If I recall correctly, uh, he, he pissed on my foot once. Oh, I, think... yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That I, was uh, greasy, wasn't it? Yeah. Man, that I... was when, that was probably around 15 years ago. Huh? I mean, that was when he was a puppy. Yep. I, ins I inspire strange behavior in your dog every decade and a half. <laughs>